You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. Hey, Savage Love listeners, this is Malika. And this is Nathan. We wanted to tell you about our podcast, Speaking of Sex, from Planned Parenthood, a name you know and trust when it comes to your sexual health. Dan's the man when it comes to dishing out sex and relationship advice. But check us out for the sexual health information and stories. Our 20-minute shows cover everything from online dating to anal sex to reproductive rights. Plus, we just launched a cross-country video road trip series called Sex on the Road. You can watch and listen to our shows on iTunes or go to speakingofsexpodcast.org. And remember, be safe. And have fun. Stuck in a relationship quandary Or if you're looking for sexual harmony Well, there's nothing you can't ask On the Savage Lovecast Hey everybody, welcome to the Savage Lovecast. I'm Dan Savage and this is of course the once a week out loud version of my sex advice column Savage Love. The phone number here if you'd like to record a question for a future podcast 206-201-2720, and the calls keep coming. Let's get to them. Hey, Dan. I'm calling from, quote, the ugliest place you've ever been. I live five minutes away from the bullet trap. Anyway, my question is, my friend, he had a girlfriend in America, and then he went and studied abroad for a semester. Um, he, was, he was faithful to his girlfriend until the last month he was in France, and then he got a French girlfriend. Um, he just stopped talking to his American girlfriend. He didn't let her know what was going on, which was fine until he came back to America and he had to live with her in the same house, which is a house for people who are French majors. Well, he eventually told her what happened, and she, you know, she freaked out, of course. But then they got, they got over it. The only problem is now is that his French girlfriend is coming to visit, and not just visit with him, She's going to live with him for two weeks. And he has decided that he's not going to tell his ex-girlfriend until, like, the last possible second, like the night before she gets there. I have advised him to tell her as soon as possible out of respect. All right, which one of us is right? Oh, my God, French major house drama. It's my favorite kind of call, and it's the only kind of this call that I've ever gotten in my whole life. Uh, my sympathies to you. I uh, got the hint. I know where you live, and it is the ugliest place I have ever been. Now, uh, your douchebag friend, and it does sound like this is uh, actually a call about a friend, not somebody calling about himself and claiming to be about a friend. Your douchebag friend needs to tell this girl, it's her, it's, you know, she's his ex. He has a right to bang his French girlfriend up and down the street whenever he wants, whenever she wants to come over. But out of simple human decency, particularly if this ex is still living in French drama major house, or French major drama house, he has a duty to tell her so that she can either you know, make other arrangements to be somewhere else for two weeks if she's still hurting from this, uh, you know, dumping. Or she can brace herself for the arrival of the French slut. That seems so obvious. What your friend is, and your friend is not, your friend's a fucking coward. He's not just, you know, avoiding a potential ugly confrontation uh, with his girlfriend because he's chicken shit. He's also creating the likelihood that there's going to be a lot of very ugly drama that his French girlfriend will be subjected to, that she's going to be miserable over this two week visit because there's going to be all these like fucking drama cross currents and. French major drama house that she's not going to know what the fuck is going on exactly, but she'll know she's the focus of it. And it's going to make her feel very uncomfortable and she's going to dump his ass. 
Now, on the general subject of uh, people spending, you know, time abroad, when your boyfriend or girlfriend spends a year abroad, uh, studies abroad, you should assume that they've fucked some Europeans or someone else. You should just roll with that. You should actually give them a get out of fucking a European free card before they go, because that's part of the experience of uh, studying abroad is, you know, eating pussy abroad and sucking cock abroad and fucking abroad abroad and fucking a dude abroad. Like, that is part of it. That's part of getting to know the locals. And if you're not down with the person you're with banging somebody else when they're abroad for a year, I would advise you to find a, a poor, incurious, um, monolingual, monosyllabic student a la George Bush circa 1968 and marry that asshole uh, because he'll never go abroad and never fuck anybody else and you'll feel totally safe. And now I'm rambling in the tech heavy at risk youth. They're giving me the wrap it up sign, so I'm going to wrap it up. Hi, Dan. Um, I enjoy your show immensely. I'm a 26-year-old queer woman. Um, this past year has been somewhat overwhelming. I... Uh, keep getting involved with self-destructive relationships with women, and uh, I'm looking for some advice on how to break that pattern. Uh, last summer, my ex-girlfriend was brutally raped, and the police believe uh, it was a hate crime. And even though it didn't happen to me, I still feel like I haven't recovered fully. Uh, I still feel guilty about leaving. And now that we've broken up, it seems as if it's a free fall in one woman after the other, none of which seems like the right environment to foster something genuine. Um, I'm about to leave this, uh, I'm about to move to Italy for school, so, uh, I don't know if I can chalk it up to youth, because none of it's, none of the dating is really very serious. Um, but I don't want to hurt anybody else, uh, or myself, so, uh, I was wondering if, uh, well, I thought about taking a self-imposed break from dating for six months to a year, so I could figure out what I really want and need. Um, do you have any advice on how to break self-destructive patterns other than to just stop? The self-destructive patterns you most need to break are the mumbling and the upward rising inflection that makes statements of fact sound like a question. I'm a 26-year-old queer woman. Like, you're a 26-year-old queer woman or you're not. Don't ask me. I don't know what the fuck you are. I haven't seen any videotape. Uh, and, you know, my last girlfriend was a victim of a brutal rape that the police label as a hate crime. Okay, like the police did or didn't. Not to make light of hate crimes or police labelings or brutal rapes or anything, but you need to snap that self-destructive pattern because it'll be very hard for people to take you seriously. Even when you're talking about very serious subjects, if you don't stamp out the upward rising inflection thing, which is incredibly annoying. Okay. You can work on that in Italy where they don't do it. Uh, what to do about a self-destructive pattern. You've had a string of, you know, high drama girlfriends. It has been my experience, uh, vicarious that uh, a lot of young lesbians, uh, queer women, right? Manufacture a lot of drama in their relationships. Now, I'm not saying that your one of your previous girlfriends wasn't brutally raped and the police didn't label it as a hate crime. Uh, I'm just saying that a lot of young lesbians seem to be uh, treat their relationships as drama-seeking missiles, uh, not to invoke a phallic image there, but there I did. Uh, I mean, there I did. So uh, what you need to do is, I, I, you know, if you feel, whenever somebody feels like they need to take a break, I always say, oh, yes, you do need to take a break. Like, take a break. If you feel like you need to break, that's what your guts are telling you. If that's what your twat's telling you. Take a break. But you need to reconcile yourself to the fact that, you know, a lot of young women when they're lesbians and they're just coming out tend to be very histrionic and there's a lot of drama. And they're also lesbians and gay men. And I've said this about gay men a million times. I'm not just beating up lesbians. Young queers can be totally fucking 
nuts. Gay people can be totally fucking nuts. Just because somebody's gay or lesbian doesn't mean they're more highly evolved, more interesting, or saner. It actually often means the opposite. Because we have to battle so much. And many of us are so terribly abused by our culture um, and by our families and by our churches that we don't arrive sort of, you know, like Venus on the clamshell, all healthy and happy, riding in on the foam. You know, we arrive at outness usually kind of as refugees and wrecks. And it can take time to recognize a wreck uh, and to stop giving people who are gay or lesbian or um, queer women like you the benefit of the doubt. Like when you meet somebody who's gay or lesbian, when you're gay or lesbian, you have to sort of regard them as, you know, I think, and th- this pisses off queer people when they say it, damaged goods until they prove otherwise because they have suffered so much. And not only do you as a young woman who's a lesbian have to, or bi perhaps, have to deal with you know, people, women who've been damaged by the shit thrown at queers, but also frequently women who've been damaged by the shit thrown at women. So you have to date a lot. You have to learn to recognize the damage in other people when it's there. You need to spend some time being introspective and uh, look for the damage in yourself and and and, and yank it out and, and repair yourself. And, and then you'll be ready to have relationships. You know, this going to Italy, going abroad thing, fuck some Italian dykes. I hear they're hot. But, you know, do take a break. If you keep picking the wrong person or you keep, like, finding drama you might, like, and you, your body's telling you to take a break, take a break. But... I guess what I'm saying, as I'm getting the wrap-up sign from the text savvy at risk youth, I guess what I'm saying is uh, don't beat up on yourself too much about this. Because at your age, a lot of the people you're going to date are going to still be reeling from what they suffered as adolescents, uh, as queer adolescents. And there's going to be a lot of drama in your relationships. And I know I was stereotyping lesbians at the beginning and saying they're particularly um, self-dramatizing. But it's true. Sorry, it's just true. Uh and again, I want to say one more time that I'm not saying that one of your ex-girlfriends wasn't brutally raped. That's not the self-dramatization I'm talking about. I'm talking about all your crazy relationships with all these dykes who were fucking uh, nuts and self-destructive. Uh, and you were self-destructive by dating them. So blah, blah, blah. Take that break. Eat some Italian pussy. Um, hi, Dan. Um, my name is Joe. And uh, <laughs> I live in New York. I'm a straight man. Um, and I'm calling you because of something that just happened. A couple of days ago, um, real quick, um, I basically I was surfing on the internet, um, looking at porn, and you know, taking care of business as I am wont to do as a single man. Um, I don't pay for it, so what I end up doing is going to these uh, backdoor links and websites, which basically it's like a whole bunch of links with pictures and stuff like that on it. Anyway, um, in the process of doing this, I came across. A picture of what I think I'm pretty sure, but I'm not 100% sure, is one of my ex-girlfriends. Um, it's a it's an amateur photo. It's so it's not like polished or anything like that. It looks like it just sort of happened in somebody's living room or whatever like that. There's nobody else in it, but it's very clear that someone was being sexual with her. Um, here's the thing: it's she and I broke up. We were together for like seven years, but she and I broke up like um, a year and a half ago, and we haven't spoken um, since. We haven't spoken in about a year because we realized that we couldn't be friends. It was too intense and too emotional and stuff like that. So it wasn't amiable in terms of the breakup, but it wasn't really good. So we haven't spoken at all. And I'm my problem is that I'm really kind of concerned because it looked like a picture that. I mean, you can't tell whether or not she's sober or not. I mean, it's hard to tell that from the picture, obviously. But 
from what I knew of her, the kind of person she was when we were dating, this is not the kind of thing she would not want to know about that's out there. Like, it seems like somebody could be taking advantage of her. I completely um, thought about the idea that it could be, and she could be like that. Things could be very different, and I don't know that. So my question is, do I, is it any, is it any of my business um, do I tell her or do I try to get in touch with her? Or as one of my friends suggested, do I try to reach out to her anonymously and uh, let her know? Hello? Hey, it's Dan. Uh, hi. How are you? Uh, <laughs> all right. So I hope I'm not interrupting your porn surfing and masturbating to ex-girlfriend schedule here. You can't. I'm at work. Hello. I well, I masturbate at work all the time. Don't tell me. <laughs> um, so, uh, you found what might be a picture of the girlfriend? How explicit is it? It's, um, you, it's not full nudity, but it's kind of dirty. <laughs> are her tits or her vulva? What is it? No, it's not that. It's it's more like a kind of a cum shot thing. There's her elbow. Thing. There's her shoulder. What the there's fuck? Her, it's her torso. It's her, and her face. And her face. Right. But not her tits. No, sort of, but barely. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, you can't you can't really tell, and it's like it's like sort of overexposed and overblown, and um, she's at an angle, so you can't. It, so it's it's hard, and her eyes are closed, so it's very hard to tell whether or not it's exactly her. But it's a it's a damn good resemblance. It sounds like you want to get back in touch with this girlfriend for other reasons. I mean, if I found a picture of a boyfriend online, an ex boyfriend. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, that would be a different matter because uh, gay men are pigs, generally. But if I found a picture of my ex-boyfriend online and it was clearly, like, you know, his face with a big fat cock in his mouth and, you know, there was his apartment and his driver's license was, you know, taped to his forehead and you could read his address, I might get in touch with him. Um, okay. Just, like, give him a heads up and say, hey, I uh, hope you, you know, just saw this, thought of you, hope you're comfy with this, didn't want you to, like, not be able to run for president one day because of this. But if it was, you know, from an angle and the side, and I couldn't really tell, it was her, and it was blown up, and it was distorted, and it was nothing explicit, and she had plausible, you know, or he had plausible deniability, he could look at that and say, well, that's not me. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like she could look at that, even if it came up, you know, during a job interview and say, well, that's not me. Right. That's just somebody who looks like me at that angle. Right. You don't need to get in touch with her about that. It sounds like you want to get in t- look like you're, you know cruising around the internet looking for an excuse to get in touch with her if you're trying to inflate this sort of vague, blown up, not terribly explicit, could be her, could not be her, your fevered imagination filling in the gaps makes it her. Uh, it's not like you're looking for an excuse. Uh, probably. I won't, I won't deny that. Uh, I won't deny that. It's well, been a lot. Set the porn aside and get in touch and don't bring it out. You know, don't say, hey, I stumbled across it <laughs> while I was rubbing one out. <laughs> Romeo. Well, I have to say, though, the, the, one of my first reactions to it was that, you know, I mean, it, it's it's not a professional thing. It's not in the studio. It's obviously in somebody's living room. Um, was I was a bit concerned that maybe there's somebody, you know, I mean, he's dating stuff. now. He's taking her pictures and throwing them. Ex- exactly. Them. Exactly. That's a possibility. Uh, and anybody who allows people to take uh, digital images uh, of mm-hmm. them in a compromised situation has to be aware of that. They live forever, and once they're out there, they're out forever. You should almost assume. Uh, when you're going to give somebody your consent to take a digital photograph of you, uh, right. photograph you of it all these days, they're all digital these days, that it will get out one day, that you can't, you know, you can't trust mm-hmm. this person, and it would be terribly foolish to let someone film you with a big cock stuffed in your mouth, unless uh, you were comfortable with that somehow filtering out there after a while. So I wouldn't, 
I, I just wouldn't jump in there with this. This would not be my opening line if I wanted to reestablish contact with someone that I had an intense seven-year relationship with and a breakup that was uh, neither amiable nor good, which I'm not sure what that means. Sometimes the working on being friends, the mistake people make is they try to be friends right after they break up. Exactly. It's still too much raw emotion. Yeah. If you revisit it a year or two later, you know, I was with a guy for five years, and after we broke up, we kind of didn't see each other for a year and a mm-hmm. half, and then right. we, now we're friends. Right. And we're able to do that and, like, have dinner, and, you know, he hangs out at my house when he comes to Seattle, and I see him when I go to New York. Uh, but we're only able to do that by taking a long break. Maybe you've taken that long break with this girl, and you can reestablish a friendship now that you weren't capable of having then at the right. moment of breakup. And you could work this in casually in the conversation. You know, one or two meetings later, you're like, I stumbled across a picture of someone who looks a lot like you online. Right. And she'll probably go, really? Send me the link. But uh, I wouldn't lead with that. Right. Particularly if you don't want to reestablish a sexual relationship. You don't want to lead with, hey, I was beaten off to you the other night, which is how it's going to read even if you say, I stumbled, I was beating off and looking at porn and stumbled across a picture of you and immediately put my dick away. Yes. Well, that's really more what... <laughs> It's like, that's the kind of thing that puts the brakes on that whole session there. I mean, you know. It's, and she doesn't you know, want to hear that either. Well, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> Especially if it's up there on purpose. Um, so, yeah, okay. Um, so give yeah. call and say it's been a year and a half. The wounds are cauterized. Hopefully, you know, we have enough distance that maybe we could just, like, be friendly now. Okay. Have coffee. And then if you reestablish a friendship, whip this honor in a couple of weeks. Don't, don't okay. like whip it on. Don't, don't lead with this. Yeah, I don't think there should be any whipping at all. I just, I maybe That's where we part company. <laughs> maybe. All right, talk to you later. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. Hi, Dan. When I became sexually active, I, I noticed that one thing that I was into was um, like a quick fantasy. I'm into S&M, and I like all that. I, I'm a masochist. And, um, um, you know, at first I thought that it was wrong to be into rape, you know, like, uh, women are raped every single day, it's wrong, you know, why would I, you know, get off on something like that, why would that excite me, um, but it does, and, you know, um, my, um, previous boyfriend and I, we, we kind of dabbled in that a little bit, um, you know, the whole rape fantasy, um, but recently I had a dream, and it was a really vivid dream for me, um, and in the dream I was being raped, and I was actually being raped, um, and instead of, you know, wanting to stop it, I just kind of allowed it to happen. It was, you know, some random person I had never known before, um, you know, and, and they were raping me. And, and instead of doing something about it, I just, you know, allowed it to happen. And in and, and the dream, it was really vivid, and I thought that it was actually happening. When I woke up, it, it really freaked me out, and I didn't know, you know, and if I were actually to be put in a situation or, you know, if it was just a dream, I don't need to worry about it. Or because I have, you know, um, a, you know a, a rape fetish, I suppose, um, you know, if it was okay. And I guess I'm just a little bit freaked out of why I would enjoy being raped. Why do rape fantasies excite you? Why do they excite anybody? Um, because they do. Uh, and, and we can, you know, here's the, the two big reasons why they do. Uh, because of the anxiety, because you grew up in a culture where you knew that women uh, and girls were frequently sexually violated and that, you know, you know, the, the rapist was out there and there were, you grew up sort of under this cloud of sexual threat. And some people process that anxiety by eroticizing it, um, where the threat becomes 
titillating in a way. Um, and it's actually a way of controlling it. When you have these rape fantasies where uh, you consent to rape role play or a rape scenario, or you fantasize about a rape that pleasures you, it's a really a way of... Uh, dealing with the anxiety about the threat of rape uh you know and turning the lemons of that anxiety into the lemonade of sexual fantasy and we all do it all human beings are are are, we don't all do we don't all end up with rape fantasies but we all process uh anxieties sometimes through our erotic imagination as a way of sort of expunging the anxiety uh, also, we grew up in a culture that hammers away at women and tells women uh, that uh, they're not supposed to have any sexual agency or desires. They're not supposed to want sex. But our bodies want sex and female bodies want sex. So there can be this internal conflict in a lot of young women where they want sex, but they don't want to feel like the kind of girl who wants sex because that's a bad girl. So they fantasize about sex being forced on them. Because then they're absolved of all responsibility for it. Then sex happened to them, um, and they were able to enjoy it, but they didn't have to take responsibility for it because they were raped, right? So those are probably the two things that were going on for you, one or the other, some combo platter of both. So now what do you do? Well, you do what you've been doing. You accept that you know your erotic imagination... Either you can regard it as burdened you with these fantasies or, you know, uh, liven things up for you with these fantasies. And there are ways to explore them that are healthy and uh, consensual and, you know, will help cement the bond between you and your sex partners and make for, you know, an interesting, fucked up, crazy off the hook sex life if you uh, do it the right way. Now, this dream that you have so much uh, angst about, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, it's no big deal. Um, what went on in that dream was sort of your, you know, you had a kind of a girly wet dream and you had, uh, you, you envisioned the scenario, uh, that turns you on and the consent, uh, was lacking, uh, in this scenario where you were still in control. It was your fucking dream. It was your fucking erotic imagination in the middle of the night running rampant. You were still in control, and in a way, you're doing nothing to stop it. You're, you know, even if in your fantasy, in your dream state, if the rape got rolling with a non-consensual first act, you're not fighting it, welcoming it, beginning to participate willingly, was sort of you in that moment, in that dream, in this non-reality situation, consenting in the moment, right? So you were still in control of even this dream, And you shouldn't regard it as, oh my god, what does it mean about me? And do I secretly want to be raped? You don't secretly want to be raped. You don't. So you just got to learn to stop worrying and love your turn-ons because they're going to be with you all your life. Just roll with it and take charge of it and know every step of the way that you are running your sex life, your sex life, and your fantasies aren't running you. Hi, Dan. My question is about communicating with your partner and what is important to talk about and what should just be kept to yourself, Um, specifically about insecurities, um, about body image insecurities, um, and also fantasies and orgasms. Um, I just got out of a long, long relationship where I was lying to my boyfriend because I thought it was protecting him because he had his own issues with sex. So I was pretending that I was being fully satisfied when I was faking it. And um, obviously that is not a good thing to do. But now I'm concerned about 
um, being honest about how I'm about my pleasure and my orgasms with someone who might have his own issues. So just what do you think about what should be talked about and what can just be left alone? Oh my God, I don't even know where to start with your question. It's all over the place. Uh, you know, what should be talked about? What should be left alone with fantasies, orgasms, sexual preferences, body image insecurities? You want to be courteous and you want to, you know, build your partner up. And there are certain things that when you're with somebody, you accept certain imperfections. Uh, and then it's your responsibility if they're insecure about them, either to pretend they're not there or just not bring it up, not salt wounds, not um, be a dick. However, when it comes to your sexual satisfaction and what it takes to get you off, what it takes to get you to orgasm, uh, you don't want to lie. You do need to be direct and upbeat. You don't want to talk about whatever it is that you require, whatever it is that brings you you know, to the top of the falls and knocks you over. You don't want to talk about it like it's a burden or it's leukemia or it's some sort of horrifying condition and uh, something that they're just going to have to... <sighs> you know, some row they're going to have to hoe for the rest of their lives. You want to talk about it like this is info that they need and should be delighted to have because you're self-aware enough and uh, sexually experienced enough and in touch with your body and your sexuality enough to be able to give them the tools that they need, the information that they need to get you off. They should be happy to have that information and you should be excited to share that information. Uh, you know, you might be a little shy of what they need to get you off is, you know, to take a dump in your mouth or something, but it's probably not anything that extreme. Uh, all you probably needed with this previous person, I'm assuming here, uh, you know, a lot of men can have sexual insecurities about their ability to please women. And, uh, you know, maybe you weren't getting the direct, making the assumption, clitoral stimulation you need to get off. Maybe he wasn't eating your pussy. Maybe you weren't wanting to introduce the vibrator that you require to get you off into your sex play with this guy. You just need to, with the next guy, be really forthright and upbeat about it. Don't be apologetic and don't be on the rack. Be upbeat, forthright. Tell him what it's going to take. Be excited to share that part of your sexuality with him. And when you're having this conversation, be drawing him out about what turns him on and what it takes uh, to get him off too. And it won't be a problem. Unless it is a problem. Unless you do lay all this out and the guy freaks out. And you know what? You don't want to be with that guy. So if you lay it all out there and the guy freaks out and runs... You're well rid of him. Good. That means you didn't have to spend the next two, three, four, five fucking decades of your life faking it and being unsatisfied sexually because you chose to be with some insecure bag of slop. If you lay it out there and he heads for the hills, good. Fuck him. Go find the guy who isn't so insecure and is happy to have this info and is interested in getting you off, not interested in your orgasms being some referendum on... Uh, the size of his deck. Hi, Dan. This is Isabella. I just got done listening to um, episode 78, podcast 78, um, in which you told a couple of philandering men um, that, or you expressed during that, the course of their discussion, their question, that you were not pro-monogamy. And I'm just wondering if you really feel that most humans, the way that we're structured emotionally, can handle anything that's not monogamy. And if not, then the only way to not be monogamous while preserving, uh, I guess, human nature would be to be secretive about it, which I guess is what you were um, suggesting to the callers from last week's show. So I don't know. It seemed a little bit 
um, sad and um, nefarious. And I'm just wondering, is, is that really um, the way you think it needs to go? People aren't structured to handle non-monogamy or non-monogamous incidents or infidelities or adulteries emotionally because we structure people in such a way that they aren't prepared to handle that emotionally. We fill people with bullshit uh, notions that monogamy is easy or an expression of love and that if you're in love with someone, you know, the way you show that love is by refraining from sleeping with other people if that's the commitment you've made. It's not that love drains you of all desire to sleep with other people. That's just bullshit. However, you know, when we're in a long-term loving, committed relationship, we want to feel like we come first, (laughs) you know, literally and figuratively. We want to feel like we are that other person's primary partner, their first priority. And one of the ways we're made to feel that way, I think, and one of the things that shores that up is monogamy, uh, emotional monogamy, um, and the assumption of or the appearance of physical monogamy of sexual devotion. Um, for some people, that comes easier than others. There are people out there who are very good at monogamy, uh, and there are people out there, and they are the majority of them, who are not very good at monogamy. And human beings didn't evolve to be monogamous. Google around a little bit. Go read The Myth of Monogamy. It's a very good book. Um, and there are very few animals in the animal kingdom that are monogamous. And, you know, there used to be ones that we celebrated little fucking finches and, you know, uh, pelicans and God knows what else. And we would say, oh, look, you know, isn't that beautiful? They're monogamous, just like God wanted all mammals to be. And it's bullshit. Now that we've done a little more study, you know, and they're going to the, going into the, you know, I hate to be crude. Ha ha ha. You know, they're draining the snatches of these birds that we used to think of as totally monogamous and finding spunk from 40 different other fucking finches in there because they come home to the same nest every night. They make that one other little boy finch feel like he's the like star and, you know, the, the, the primary focus of their little finch life. But when he's off running around, she's off running around, too. Right. And <sighs> I'm spinning out of control here. All I want to say is that I kind of agree with you that, you know, we are structured, unfortunately, emotionally, uh, that in such a way that makes non-monogamy very difficult. And, you know, out-of-control promiscuity, I think, can destroy any uh, relationship because it just takes too much of your focus away from the person who's supposed to feel like they come first emotionally and physically. Uh, so there's this assumption of monogamy or the appearance of monogamy or what I like to say, uh, you know, non-monogamy uh, more in theory than in practice that make it possible to stay together and, and really shore up that long-term bond. Um, but, you know, we do need to be a little secretive about it sometimes, uh, if not hiding it from your partner, because there are a lot of people who are to all the world. Uh, couples who to all the world look like they have a strictly monogamous relationship and they're being a little secretive because part of their deal is there are allowances for outside sexual contact but they don't want family friends co-workers or anybody else to fucking know about it so there's a lot of couples out there that appear monogamous who aren't necessarily as monogamous as we think we they are who are keeping secrets but there are also people who because they're human because they're mammals because they're vertebrates fail at this ideal, this monogamous ideal that is really hard to hew to over a, a relationship that lasts for decades. And what's the proper thing to do at that moment when you fail, when you fuck up like that? Uh, and you've, you know, sort of committed to not doing it again. Like you didn't want to cheat necessarily. You know, maybe you got drunk, maybe something happened, you got carried away. You know, desire is sometimes overwhelming and powerful. And then what do you do? Do you disclose? Do you go back and tell? Sometimes you should. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. But sometimes that's just 
two wrongs not adding up to a right. Sometimes that's shifting the burden of, you know, the guilt and the angst and the self-loathing onto the other person and making, you know, transforming your guilt and angst and self-loathing into uh, their anger and fury and loathing period of you. And it can destroy the relationship. Sometimes it's better just to bury it, tamp down, and keep it a secret because the survival of the relationship over the long term is going to be better for the both of you, even for the person who was cheated on and doesn't know about it and goes to the grave not knowing about it, than a relationship that's run like a fucking deposition where it's full disclosure at all times. No relationships will survive that, whether you're talking about full disclosure about fidelity or full disclosure about anything. In a relationship, full disclosure about money, full disclosure about, you know, what's exactly running through your head while you two are having sex together. No relationship would survive those kinds of pressures and expectations. So, you know, I hate to confirm your attitude that, you know, it is sad. It is sad that to maintain this monogamous fiction that monogamy should be expected or comes easy uh, or is the the ultimate marker of love that lies and secrets are required but you know what they are and that's not my fault and that's not the way i would build the world if i could build, remake the world sexually and emotionally and remake how we approach these sorts of long-term commitments if you're going to be sad about it you should blame the people who have created a culture of you know, sex and relationships and marriages and expectations that is at war with human nature and human sexuality that sets us all up really to fail. Dan, hi, Darla here. I am calling in response to webcast number 78, where you advise a college kid who was embarrassed about having wet dreams in front of his roommate to squirt mayonnaise packets, in, packets into his roommate's bed and then tell him he'd had wet dreams too. Uh, great advice. But I'm thinking this guy might want to try a two-pronged approach and beat off more often. Um, doesn't masturbating sort of empty out the apparatus for guys so that it doesn't have to empty itself? Way back in the day, I had a college boyfriend who refused to jack off, and he had wet dreams pretty much every night. And I always thought the two things were related. Am I wrong? Thanks a lot. Yes, I believe that all people should beat off as frequently as possible. And uh, to the folks out there, uh, because, you know, maybe it prevents wet dreams. We know it prevents uh, prostate cancer, according to new studies that I mentioned last week. And to all the folks out there who thought that I was completely serious about dumping mayonnaise into the roommate's bed and telling him he had a wet dream, too. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Adrian, and I don't really have a question. I just basically have a comment. I just recently, just a couple months ago, got out of a finally got out of my very broken marriage after things exploded and the marriage was done um i then i discovered uh dan savage and uh listening to this podcast has been very helpful for my healing process because i've seen a lot of people talking about the same sort of relationship problems that i was having and of course things things can seem obviously really abusive and broken when you hear someone else say it even when it isn't as obvious when you're in the situation and that also means that a lot of your answers have been actually uh, have been almost like you're talking to me, even though you're not responding to my questions. So it's been very helpful for making me feel validated, for making me realize that I did make the right decision to get out of my uh, divorce. And while you didn't help me, uh, didn't help me get out of it, uh, listening to the podcast has been helping me recover and heal, and helping me think critically about the sex I'm not having, but probably will eventually, so I can try to spot for broken, unhealthy things in the future. So I just wanted to say thank you and keep it up. Thanks very much for your call. Congratulations on your divorce. And here's hoping that when you do start having sex again, that it's good and healthy and uh, you avoid the broken people. 
Hi, Dan. My name is Marion, and I am a 30-year-old lesbian who lives in Northern California. And I've been listening to some back episodes of your love cast. And I just wanted to say that I was really relieved to hear you talk about someone. You said someone had a gay voice. It was actually a woman, which I don't know as much. But anyway, um, I think that all the time there was one guy on one of the podcasts who kept saying, talking about his girlfriend and then saying, anywho, and I thought that was really strange. So anyway, I just wanted to thank you for saying that. It makes me feel less weird when I think that about people all the time. I'm not some, like, secretly gay-hating lesbian. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Thank you. Guys going through divorces, lesbians struggling with gay voice identification guilt. We are here to help. Uh, but we're done helping today. The phone number here, if you'd like to record a question for a future podcast, 206-201-2720. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. Uh, the intro music this week, of course, by the popovers, our favorites. The outro music for the show by Rick Taylor. You are now listening to the Parenthood wants to remind you to love carefully. Unplanned pregnancy rates are rising, and sexually transmitted infections are at an all-time high. Remember, condoms reduce the risk. Call 1-800-230-PLAN for an appointment, or visit us online at PlannedParenthood.org. 